Hey, Robert. Hey, Ron. So as you can tell, I'm traveling um, up in Colorado. So uh, we, uh, you know, there's so much going on right now, particularly with AI. Uh, and then I was reading a story today about uh, autonomous taxis in San Francisco and uh, how uh, there's a massive effort to try to shut them down uh, at kind of all levels of local governments because they've been experimenting with local tax with uh, driverless taxis um, in San Francisco for months now with what looked like amazing results. But, but uh, people always bring up the, but what if? I mean, uh, it, it's kind of a scary technology, cars driving by themselves. What if? I mean, there's all these negative outcomes that one could imagine, uh, that one could fantasize about, uh, and more and more people are using that imagination to want to want to shut down shut down new technologies, and AI is probably the place where we're seeing it most right now. Uh, definitely, um, with autonomous vehicles, you know, I. I was a Tesla driver for a long time and very quickly, it was the first time I ever felt comfortable turning over control to the vehicle because very quickly I, it became obvious that the car was a better driver than I was. And so- I've driven with Robert, so I, I can testify. <laughs> yes, you can attest to that, that that bar is not extraordinarily high, but right. I'm not sure that the average driver is that much better than I am. Yep. And so, you know, if you set the bar at zero risk, which is an easy place to set it, and there's a tendency when you're anti something to set it there, then you've just made it clear that there is no discussion, there is no evaluation of trade offs or costs and benefits going on, because nothing is, is zero risk. Uh, and I would assert we should set the bar at the median driver. Um, you might argue we should set the bar even higher because the worst drivers, if they were to not drive, you might reduce accidents by 80%, mm -hmm. fatalities by 90%. Like they're huge upsides to having autonomous vehicles and that people would go out and, and protest against them and try and stop that from happening. Uh, it, it's mind boggling to me because one, Today, autonomous vehicles would be better than most drivers. Mm -hmm. Two, in 10 years, autonomous vehicles will probably have almost no accidents. If we get on the ingenuism cycle of, of learning what the remaining mm -hmm. problems are. So if you insist you get to zero problems, you never get to zero problems because the only way to get to a point where air, you know, major airlines never crash or never have fatal crashes is to learn what the, the most... Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the, the last problems that we're going to be able to solve to figure out what they are and then solve them. And of course, with airlines, they went through decades and decades of having major crashes and learning and learning and learning to the point where today it's unbelievably rare. Uh, and in the United States, basically zero, uh, you know, crashes with fatalities. It just it just doesn't happen. And if when, when it does, it's extraordinary. Well, the but last that could have never been achieved. The last fatal crash by a major U.S. airline um, it was 2001. It was after 9/11, which I you know that. that I would count. But basically, there's there's been one in the last 25 years and zero in the last 20 years. 
And you know, if you think about the beginning of airplanes, they were insanely risky. It was like going into space now. You know, there, there was you were off off the ground with no parachute. Uh, but that track is necessary for you to eventually figure out how to get to what is virtually zero risk, but is in a practical sense zero risk. You know, I consider flying to kind of a practical standpoint to be zero risk. Uh, and we didn't feel like that landing in Aspen yesterday when the plane uh, bouncing around all over the place. But yeah, I mean, I kept having to tell myself it's zero risk. It's zero risk. <laughs> and I'd like to be able to tell myself the trip to the airport and from the airport is zero risk. But yeah. that would be that would be fantasy. It's not. And with autonomous vehicles, it definitely could be. So, so there's a, a term for this idea that we, we should strive for zero risk and and. And, and it's called the precautionary principle, the idea that as long as you can imagine a significant risk, but imagine it, not, not even it, it exists in reality, uh, then we should be very cautious in introducing these technologies or actually not introduce them at all. And, and I've heard arguments, for example, about AI that look, the, the risk, there might be a very small risk that the AI will take over and kill us all. But the outcome is so devastating, a small risk multiplied by an infinitely damaging outcome says, don't do it. You, we shouldn't even try. Um, and it, it's that kind of attitude that is driving, I think, a lot of the panic around uh, AI and driving a lot of the talk about slowing down, shutting it down even, um, and, and certainly a lot of the talk of the regulating it. Well, you when you have a if you believe that something threatens all of humanity, it's natural to say we need to not do that. Mm -hmm. And since the future is unknowable, it's always going to be probabilistic. And I, th I think we're fooling ourselves if we say there's no chance that an AI would go horribly wrong and end up eradicating the human race. I mean, it just is just like nuclear power, there was a chance that we would have a major, and there, there still is a chance that we have a major nuclear Absolutely. that would lead to a nuclear winter that would, you know, eradicate most or, or all of humanity. Uh, that's, that. those are risks. Uh, on the other hand, if we stay at our current level of technology, it is a certainty that eventually humanity will be eradicated from the face of the earth. You know, a, a meteor will hit the earth or something will happen. And these sort of catastrophes are measured in very long horizons. Like we're probably not going to have a super volcano eruption this year. We're probably not going to see an asteroid hit the earth this year. You know, it's very, very small. It's less likely than an airplane, a fatal airplane crash. But over the long haul, there are virtual certainties. And what we, what we miss when we start saying, well, there's an infinite risk on the downside is that there's an infinite potential gain on the yeah. upside using the same logic of not being in a position where humanity does eventually get eradicated. And that's, that's at the, the very top level of you know, my objection to the precautionary principle. I don't object to it in principle, but when you try and uh, the principle in principle, but when you try and uh, implement it in practice, I always have two objections. One is, what are we giving up? What are we not going to have going forward? And what kind of risks is that going to 
allowed to propagate forever uh, as opposed to actually solving them. For example, what if AI were to eliminate the risk of nuclear war? And I'm not claiming that. I'm not saying how that would even happen. I'm just a thought experiment. What if AI were to eliminate a particular type of risk? Well, if you believe AI will be as powerful enough to eradicate humanity, it you, you sort of by definition believe that it would be powerful enough to eradicate some of these risks. And the real ones we should be worried about are the ones that we haven't even thought about that, you know, whether it's biotechnology or uh, yeah. invasion, I, who, who knows what the risks are? They're just uncountable. Uh, and that's always the top level analysis that has to be done is what are we giving up if we suppress this technology? And a good example would be nuclear power. You know, by by a hundred percent clear that nuclear power has been suppressed. You know, we're still using the same generators that were built 60 years ago. There's been relatively little innovation on a practical side, basically uh, close to no innovation for commercial power generation, nuclear reactors, and every other technology that existed when nuclear power was young has evolved extraordinarily, has become much cheaper, much more reliable, much more effective. Uh, planes, cars, boats, computers, you, you, you name it. Yeah. And it's all transformed. It's unrecognizable. You know, factories today would not, you, you, you couldn't even put them side by side and say these are the same things compared to factories that long ago. Yet the power plant is the same power plant. And well, I mean, everything you said there suggests that you don't really believe in the precautionary principle on principle, but um, but it is the nuclear energy example is a great example because if you believe, which I don't, but if you believe, as many in our culture do believe, that climate change is an existential threat to humanity that's going to happen very fast and it's really really dangerous, then you have to look back and say, well. Imagine what a better situation we would be in today if we had embraced nuclear energy 60 years ago, allowed it to evolve, allow it to develop. We'd be running, we'd be much, much closer to carbon zero or whatever the target is today than anybody could imagine because we'd be running so much on nuclear power and uh, safe, cheap, uh, effective, efficient. Uh, and we we could eliminate the, the CO2 without upheaval in our in our in our lives uh, that is demanded today because we don't have those nuclear power options so we took away an option that we didn't even realize we were taking away because we we you don't know the risk maybe but you also don't know the upsides and here's an upside that nobody forecast 60 years ago and we're suffering from today the fact that we didn't engage that's in. a great example because that's that fits right in is you say nuclear power is risky and you know, we need to be cautious and you implement the precautionary principle and you shut down the whole cycle of innovation learning and, and improvement and you know if pick your technology anything that's been allowed to evolve if nuclear power had evolved in a similar path today we would have I mean, the, the benefits would be extraordinary because we would power would be basically free. Uh, the developing world would have power that that currently mm -hmm. they have no easy way to access. Uh, carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere would be significantly lower because they would have been they would have started dropping decades ago. Yep. Uh, 
and this risk that no one was talking about, in fact, back in the, the day when nuclear power was young, uh, people were worried about a mini ice age that was coming. You go back and you look at Time Magazine headlines in the 70s, and they were talking about the coming ice age. Yep. Uh, and so nobody was thinking about global warming. Or it was not a commonly recognized risk. And you know, regardless of whether you believe that climate change is an existential risk, there's definitely a, would be an advantage to having more control over our climate. Uh, we're, the planet has warmed, and that's whether that's uh, desirable or not. You know, you would want to be making those kind of choices. So we'd be wildly richer, and we would have. Mm -hmm. solved a risk that hadn't even be recognized. And that's my concern with any new technology, whether it's biotechnology or AI, that we don't recognize the potential upside and we suppress it. And then we learn 60 years later that we basically screwed ourselves um, by that decision. Um, I was worried about it with biotechnology. I'm a lot less worried about it now because I guess the benefits of biotechnology have become so clear uh, that the idea of putting massive restrictions on it is unpalatable, but that it is just, again, proves the point is when we know that it's going to be a big cost, well, we don't do it. Well, we should, the default assumption should be suppressing AI will have a big cost, suppressing nuclear power definitely had a big cost. I think one of the differences between biotech and, and AI which I, I found shocking is that when biotech got to the point where it was kind of dicey, right? They were doing things that were, they weren't sure exactly what status they were and they weren't sure what the consequence were going to be. The industry itself, primarily scientists got together and at, at, at conferences and they still do. And they said, okay, in these areas, let's slow down a little bit because, um, there's real risk to human life. There's the, the real risk, but we're still going to move forward. We're just going to move forward slowly. And we're going to look at the results, just like we argue in ingenuism, look at the results, look at where we need to course correct and so on. And, um, and, and it looks like that has worked. And uh, that while there's major progress in the biotech areas, um, both in the science and the technology side of it, they haven't crossed any kind of boundaries with a few exceptions. They haven't really crossed those boundaries that, that they set as an industry. AI, it seems like this year in particular, seems to have decided that they can't be held, they can't take responsibility for their, for their own actions. And they immediately, you know, the, the leaders in the field immediately started saying, this is a disaster, what we're going to do, we need the government to stop us. We need we need somebody to force us to slow down, and it became uh, they immediately went to government to try to solve the problem, which is never a good idea. Uh, it is. I mean, you get a a, a particular result. It, if you really want to slow innovation, uh, then it's a great idea. Um, it, yep. It's not clear that it produces any desirable results. Um, but we, if if we centralize and and have a completely, you know, government oriented um, plan for how AI moves forward, then it'll be like nuclear power. In sixty years, we'll still be using Chat GPT four. Yep. Uh, and I think I told you this. I was at a seminar with a bunch of AI CEOs, and 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 that's what they were advocating. They were literally saying, "Let's use the nuclear power model," and that was like. <laughs> 
It's insane. Do they know what they're talking about? These are smart people in the industry. It's it's shocking. Uh, that is that is depressing, um, and it is, it is because you know, d- despite whatever risks there are in AI, and we're not claiming that there aren't any, uh, there are risks that AI will help solve, and maybe they're biotechnology. Maybe there will be yeah. you know, a a need for AI in order to combat some sort of you know bioterrorism that happens in the future. We, we just we have no idea. But then there's a whole nother level that uh, I object to, which is the the whole ingenuism or or the other forms of it that we've really seen just over the past uh, sporadically over the past uh, couple thousand years. It's not the default environment for human beings. We we have no evidence that this is something that is was, we're naturally going to evolve into uh, our society that embraces ingenuous principles, that embraces learning, embraces you know, dealing with failure in a responsible and, and productive way, all of that, uh, that really does puts a high value on connection and, and on learning. And when you think about how do you really control a technology in service of the precautionary principle, it always involves something in the end that is something like bombing data centers. You know, you in the end it has to be forced. Yeah. And you know, who's decides when that force is used? And you know, the the it seems inevitable that in, if we move towards that world that we're sacrificing the core principles of ingenuism and progress, and that we're going to end up with a world that that you know not only is not AI moving forward. But nothing is moving forward because we are so focused on risks and and not looking at the trade-offs. Yeah, and that that is the great danger of institutionalizing a precautionary principle uh, because that would prevent the advancements of biotech. It would put because there are a lot of risks in biotech, a lot of dangerous uh, things that can happen, Uh, and uh, you know we can embrace those risks and and work around them and and try to control them. And learn as we move forward, or we can stop. And, and uh, stagnation is a recipe for disaster. You know, you either in life, I think you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. It's stopping still is just not an option. You know, I, I'm, it seems like I always bring up Werner Vinge's books because they're, they they seem to always apply. Is someone yeah. like a real precedence? Um, but he wrote a book called The Peace War, and it, it was a uh, a lab, um, I think it was Livermore in the book, um, develops a technology where they can create these bubbles. And the bubbles are, what it turns out is the bubbles freeze time inside of the bubbles. And so you basically take someone and, and take them out of reality. And you can create these wherever and however you want of different sizes. And uh, the next thing you know, you have the Peace Authority, which is run by like a, a, an administrative assistant that recognized what you could do with this technology that has bobbled all of the military institutions. And so like if someone sh- launches a missile at you, you just bobble it in midair. Yeah. And, and it drops down. And so they've, they've eliminated all you know, source of resistance because they can just bobble you. 
Uh, and then the story is the bubbles turn out not to be permanent. So you, you're frozen in time for 60 years or something, and then suddenly the the bubble just disappears. And so people, you know, are finding themselves. They were flying an airplane, and then suddenly they're flying the same airplane but in different weather because it's 60 yeah. years later. You know, it's. Yep. Uh, but that that is the risk is if you give someone authority for to eliminate a certain type of risk, then that same uh, uh, same ability to project force could be used to basically take over the world. Mm -hmm. No, it is uh, it is it is scary, but, you know, it's inspiring. The technology itself is inspiring. The, the, the advancements we're seeing the uh the potential upside i mean we're talking about big potential upsides but all the little potential upsides of ai uh, are truly stunning and just improving our lives and in uh, curing diseases and ma making uh, finding cures much faster for a lot of the diseases that um you know that kill us and therefore extending human life i mean it's just the upside is truly amazing yeah, but the first AIs were very narrow focused. You know, they learned to play chess, then to play Go, and, and those are games, but they are much more serious games, like creating new drugs that cure cancers. Uh, and that I think AI is going to be extremely effective at. Um, the, the large language models, uh, they're absolutely amazing. It's, it's truly astonishing what they can produce. Um, but they are very limited in the sense mm -hmm. of in exactly this way that you would expect if you were using a word, if you're trained on, you know, what word is likely to come next. Yep. Um, you know, I, I teach uh, about venture capital and one of the basic things in venture capital is to create a capitalization table and, you know, a, an average undergraduate learns quite easily how to create a capitalization table. It's not that complicated. And so far, I have not been able to get a, uh, oh. a large language model to create the capitalization table correctly. I'm sure they'll get it because it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the most straightforward of, of the applications. Um, so it's and of course it'll give you what a, a student that didn't spend any time studying it'll it'll give you something that vaguely includes some dilution and it has some but it's totally wrong and it has no idea that it's totally wrong yeah. um, and and that's the point is i don't think you know my my students if they're totally wrong they actually know it they're just hoping to get some points uh I have no intuition or evidence that a, a large language model knows when it's completely wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's the big difference. And that's why I'm not as worried as you know some are about yeah. AI destroying the world in the next decade. Uh, you know, I, I don't understand consciousness any better than anyone else. Um, but I do think there's a it, it's unique enough in that I, I think that there is by default there is a large hurdle to get there you don't have true consciousness in a whole lot of organisms yeah and it seems to be tied to life and biological processes we still have no evidence to suggest you can create it without that um so when we start creating um ai within uh brain cells as some people are working on you know maybe then maybe then uh okay. I'd be surprised if, if this is let to run, I'd be surprised if we don't eventually get uh, true generalized artificial intelligence. Uh, and then we maybe even get an, an intelligence explosion. Uh, and 
then maybe we even get eradicated. But uh, you know, the, the world where we're we're aiming for the stars and and potentially crashing is better than the world where we just stay in the dirt. Absolutely, that's a great point to end on. All right, 